So, uh, weeks ago, Pastor Sarah and I were chatting about Christmas and about where we're, where we're heading after the story. And, of course, last week we did a one-timer on the end times. And this is the third verse of O Little Town of Bethlehem. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. So the title for our series is Silent Wonder. It's in three parts. Uh, this Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to have Jennifer Duram. I'm very excited about Jennifer speaking. And then uh, we will have two more on silent wonder. This is part one. And I've titled it The Wonder of God's Silence. And so if you would stand with me in honor of God's word, we're going to just look at a few scriptures and pray together, and we will get into this thing. Here we go. First is Isaiah 45, 15. Okay, I'm going to do it out of the NAS. That's the NIV. Here's the NAS. Truly, you are a God who hides himself. O God of Israel, Savior. Proverbs 25, 2, and I'm, I'm going to do it out of the NAS as well. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. And then Matthew 13, 10 through 13. And the disciples came and said to him, speaking of Jesus, why do you speak to them, speaking of the crowds, in parables? Jesus answered them, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are not like us. Yet you have set eternity in our hearts. There is something in us that transcends our thoughts and our minds and what we can figure out. We, we know this. We, we see beauty in a sunset and something in us reaches out for something that we can't quite grasp. We experience love and pain in such ways that it transcends logic. And Lord, I, I just, I believe you're, you're pulling for something that you have placed deep within inside of us today. Psalm 42 says that deep calls to deep. 
And so, Lord, I just pray that you would have your way here today. I am simply your servant. Hide me behind your cross so that each one of us can hear what you're speaking. And really today, almost, it's almost more that we would feel your drawing in our hearts. God, help us, I pray. Help me, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The wonder of God's silence. So God reveals himself. Isaiah is in, he is in wonder about who God is. He says, truly you are a God who hides himself. In Genesis chapter 15, God is speaking to Abraham. It is part of God's choosing Abraham. Abraham has seen the stars and and God has spoken to him because he's pleasing to God. And he's talking about this people that he's going to make and that he's setting apart this people and that Abraham is is blessed and is going to be a blessing. And and then he he just throws this in. He's speaking to Abraham and he says, and by the way, your descendants are going to, and he says, I assuredly say to you, this is absolutely going to happen. Your descendants are going to be slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Who... Who is this God? Who is this God that chooses a people and before they're even created, he says, and by the way, they're going to start out in, in, as slaves in Egypt. This is the good God, the all-powerful God, the God who's treasuring us and calling us apart, is letting us be slaves for 400 years. Are you kidding me? Who is this? And then when Jesus is born, and we, we like to go right to the birth, but do you know how long they waited for that birth? When Isaiah prophesies a child is born to us, a son is given, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 700 years before it happened. The last prophet in Israel before John the Baptist came was Malachi. And he prophesied in 400 B.C. That means there were 400 years where there was silence as far as a prophetic voice in Israel. Who is he? Who, who, who does things so slowly? It's, it, says in, it says in Galatians 4.4 4, that at just the right time, at just at the kairos of God, at the fullness of time, that is when Christ was born. That is when Christ entered into eternity. Just the right time. Do you see that sometimes just the right time for us and just the right time for God are two different, completely different things? 
just the whole way we would do things, the whole way we think it should be is very different than how God does things. There's, there's, a, there's a verse that says it in Proverbs 14, 12. It says, there's a way that seems right to man and that way actually ends in death. So God's got a different way. The God who hides himself. And that's macro hiding. What about micro hiding? Macro is like the whole human race. God is, God's ways are strange. But what about my life? What about me? What about the way my life is going and what is happening in my life right now? Has anybody noticed that sometimes you have got a massive thing in your life that you're begging God to do and it's almost as if God isn't even listening to that prayer. But at the very same time, you have these little mini prayers and he's just right there. Has anybody been frustrated by that besides me? Where you know he's there and he's made himself known in little intimate ways while leaving very important major things that are the main event in our mind, silent. And he's just, he's not doing anything. Who is he? Why is he oftentimes appear silent? Last week I told just a little about on the way to my flight to, to, to get to China, it started out Madison to Detroit, and I sat next to a woman that wanted to talk about God. She's got two Christian friends that she won't talk to about God because she doesn't want to encourage them, but she, not a churchgoer, doesn't own a Bible, doesn't own, but my oh my, she found out who I was and she wanted to get, she wanted answers. And, and one of her questions was this. Why is God so silent? If God wants us to believe, if God wants this, why can't I hear him? Why is it so mysterious? It was funny because the same flight on the way back from China, Detroit now to Madison, sitting next to a grad student, she's pursuing her doctorate and it's all about studying how the brain works and she's from Madison but in Boston doing her school and, um, and we got chatting and here's what she said. <laughs> she said, she, extremely logical person. I'm talking to her about faith and about Christ and about what it means to have a relationship with God. And she's like, you know what? That sounds really helpful. <laughs> she says, she said, if it's true, I'd really like to have what you're describing. That sounds like that would really help my life. If I could have what you're describing, and that, and and I, it ju it just needs to be true. And then she told her story. <laughs> she said, "We used to go to church, but when I was 
uh, young, my cousin died of cancer when he was 12 years old. And she said, from that day on, my family just stopped going to church. That if God, whoever God is, is going to let a 12-year-old boy die of cancer when we asked him not to, when we prayed that he'd be healed, when we, and if that's who he is, we're not going to church anymore. That's, we're out, we're done. So they just, the parents walked away, and of course, when parents walk away, they take their kids with them. We're just, if that's the type of God that is running this universe, then we're out. Why didn't God heal that 12-year-old boy? Why? And every one of us has got a situation in our life. If it's not us, it's somebody that we know, somebody that we love, where these inexplicable, painful things have happened, even when we've asked God to not allow them to happen. He certainly is the God who hides himself. Point two, last point. Why does God sometimes seem silent? Well, the first answer to that is sometimes it's not God. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes, for instance, in Genesis... God was still there. God came. God came for the, the walk in the garden each night. And Adam and Eve were the ones that had left. They were the ones hiding. It wasn't God hiding. They were hiding. It is the very nature of sin and shame to hide. And so they're hiding over, the, over there in the bushes. And God come, is actually the one that comes looking for them and asking, where are you? Where are you hiding? I would make the case today that before you find God, God has to find you. And that God is looking for you today. He is still asking, where are you? Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd who has left the 99 righteous He's left, he left heaven and all of the angels and all of the beauty and all of the power and he, he became a baby and took on flesh and, and then became a servant and then humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross so that he could find those who are lost. It says he leaves the 99 and the good shepherd goes after the one until he finds them. So here's what I said to, uh, to these women. I gave them both the same advice at the, at the end of the day and I'm gonna tell you why I gave them that advice, but... 
sometimes we, def- we tell God how to speak. And we, we put ourselves on the throne and we determine how God is going to speak and this is what it's going to look like when you speak to me and therefore if you don't speak to me in that way that I have prescribed to you, you are not speaking. And does anybody see that that's the wrong way to do it? That's not humility, that's not meekness, that's pride, that's arrogance, that's us determining the hoops God should jump through. So what I said to both of these women, I said, I'm, I'm going to challenge you to read the book of John. And I'm going to challenge you to say to God, God, if you exist, if you are real, reveal yourself to me as I read. And they, they both said they were going to do that. One of them, I had to t- tell her how to get a Bible that, that was in understandable language. And so the other one had one, and, but they, they, they both were eager to do that. But here's why, here's why I told them that. Because we had a, we had a testimony. We, of course, we've been doing the story this year, and people have been telling their testimonies. When the missionaries came back, we had them tell their stories. But we had two missionaries that weren't here for the missions conference, but they came the week after the missions conference to the Tuesday night prayer meeting, Steve and Sandy Youngren. And the, we asked them to give their stories at the prayer meeting. So here, here was Sandy's Story And of all of the stories I've heard, I just, I was absolutely blown away by this story. So she is in ninth grade in a city north of Seattle, northwest uh, United States. And she's had some things happen to her in middle school that added to her introversion, introverted personality. And she is just so shielded from human beings. She wants to be shielded. She doesn't want anybody to notice her. She's so introverted. She's trying to go through life without anybody seeing her, anybody noticing her. And she is just sealed off from humanity because of her introversion and because of some of the experiences she had. And so she's, it's her first year of high school and she is deep in hiding. Well, there was a revival in this high school. This is, this is the 70s. This is the time of the, the, the outpouring of the, the Jesus. People were getting saved and coming out of the drug culture that, that had found Jesus. And that's where the whole title Jesus Freaks came from. Anyway, they, there was a translation of the Bible called Good News for Modern Man. And, and, and kids were experiencing Jesus and witnessing and organizing into Bible studies and the whole school was just kind of aglow with this this Jesus thing and she was she had just decided um, she wasn't just hiding in introversion it turns out you know there's, you know there's another place to hide it's called religion and she had decided, she grew up religious, that her religion was good enough, she was a good person, and that she was not going to open herself up or talk to these people or anything else. And, 
And so she gets stopped in the hallway by this guy. He's got long hair. He looks like one of the Jesus freaks and he's got a huge smile on his face and she is ready to tell him, my religion is just as good as yours and I don't want to hear what you say. But he doesn't, he doesn't say it that way. He says, he says I, know, I know you love God and I know you believe in the Bible. He says, and, and, and he says, so here's what I want to do. I want to give you this version of the Bible. It's called Good News for Modern Man. And he said, I want you to read the book of John and then I want us to study it together. And, uh, and she, she doesn't say anything. He just gives her that Bible and, and he leaves and she, <laughs> she hasn't said anything, but she's got this Bible and she's a little taken aback because this whole thing happened and she never, she never responded. She never did what she wanted to do. But when she went home, she's like, I'm going to see this guy and he's going to ask if I read John. She says, I need to read John. So she gets into her bedroom and starts reading John. And she has this experience in the book of John. She said, it was like panoramic. She said, I w- it was like I was in every story. I was there when John the Baptist came preaching. I, I heard him say, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I, wa- I was the woman at the well that Jesus came and invited to have living water. I was the woman caught in the act of adultery. She said, it was so real. And I, she read all the way through. She got to the cross and she was there for the trial, and she was, as she's reading this, she realizes that it's her sin that has put Jesus on the cross. And she just starts weeping and convulsing and is so deeply moved by the crucifixion. She reads about the resurrection, and then she sees that. She sees that Jesus rose for her, and, and that this is about her making God her father, and just like Mary Magdalene, and, and she feels the weight of the sin leave her, and the joy of heaven fill her, and she, this all happens in one night, in one reading of the book of John. So she goes back to school the next day. She cannot wait to talk to this guy. but she can't find him. She starts asking around. There's nobody at that school that looks like that. Now, that was her conversion story. That's, that is the foundation of her. Now, she never told us that night that it was an angel. She just told the story just like that. Here's my question for you. Do you think it was an angel? Is it possible? Is it possible that an angel told her to read the word of God? Is it possible that when he said, and I'll study it with you, that he actually did study it with her? That he actually went with her to the bedroom and actually made it alive? Now here's why I'm asking it that way. Who do you think God is? Do do you think he loves people and that he wants to reveal himself to people? Do you think he loves the ninth grader 
that's self-conscious, that's hiding? Do you think he loves the religious person that's filled with self-righteousness and not going to listen? And How far do you think he'll go? I'm just simple enough to believe those two women on the plane that, that were plopped right next to me that that was divinely orchestrated. Divine appointment. And I have all the confidence in the world that just because I'm out of the scene doesn't mean that God's not still pursuing them. So sometimes God, it's not God that's hiding himself, it's us. It's us that's hiding. God's not silent. We have simply locked ourselves away from hearing him because we've got our own idea of how he should speak and what this world is like, and so we're not listening. We're not listening for God. Sometimes God seems silent because he's wanting us to trust his goodness even if we can't see his goodness right now. This is really important to God. In fact, it's part of biblical faith. Biblical faith is not just believing God's existence. It says in Hebrews 11.6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And to have faith, somebody needs to believe that God is, that's his existence, and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. That God doesn't just exist, that he's good. That he's good to people, that he, that he has good things for people, that seeking God is going to result in good for me because God is not just existent, but he is good. He is intimate. He is involved and wants to do good for people. This is very central to you seeking God. You have to believe he's a good God. Here's the problem. If the basis of your goodness, your belief in God's goodness is your blessings, and here's why I know God's good, because I've got this going, and I've got this going, and I've got this blessing, and I've got this blessing, and I've got this blessing, and isn't God good? If that's your definition of why God is good, you're very vulnerable. Your faith is very vulnerable, because it is, it's based on what God gives instead of who God is. So, you know, what if you don't live in America? What if you live in China? Is God still good? What if, what if instead of you getting a promotion, you get fired? What if instead of you getting this great honor and elevation, you get killed? Is God still good? Where is your faith in all of that? And so God watches over your faith. The most important part of you is your faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So God purifies faith. Romans 8.28 says that, that he works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. 
The Bible never calls all things good. Everything that happens to you, everything that happens in this world is not good. The Bible says there's a devil that came to kill, steal, and destroy. And he, trust me, he's killing, stealing, and destroying right now as we gather in this place. The influence of darkness, the influence of evil, the influence of free people making evil decisions has touched and invaded all of our lives. And because of that, we've got things that have happened in our lives that are not good. They're evil. They're wrong. God doesn't call us to say to those things, oh, that was a good thing. That was a good, even though... uh, you know, somehow that's a good thing. No, he doesn't call us to do that. Here's what he calls us to do. To say that even though that happened, he's still good. And even that evil thing that happened, even that bad thing, even that, that thing that result, came about because of my sin or the sin of somebody else, that God is so good and so powerful and so wise that in his sovereignty, he can work even that for my good in the end. God always can have the last say in anything. And he will take my trials, my pain, even the things the devil has done, and he'll work them if I will trust him according to his purpose, which usually means I gotta lay down my purpose. He is able to do this. So late 2006, early 2007, my uh, son, my firstborn, walked away from God. Walked away from Christianity. He went from being a leader, a worship leader, the, uh, uh, just an advocate all the way through high school of, of testimony for Jesus and inviting people to church and just being an outspoken, bold Christian to just walking away from faith. And Alice and I were absolutely devastated. And there were many sleepless nights, many tears, many what did we do wrong, da-da-da-da-da. Um, but in the midst of this, we were being invited to a new adventure. We were coming to Madison, um, and it was, we could, everything was so God that we were coming to Madison. We, we, we saw this new beginning as exciting and beautiful and everything, and, and we got here, and it was just the opposite. It was... A mess. It was instead of unity, it was division and wounds and hurts and and all of this while we're quote obeying God and believing God and trying to seek God and um, it was a it was just a it was a very dark time for me. But it was a really dark time for my wife. She first she has this thing with her son which, you know, how could have I been a better mom? How could we, da-da-da-da-da. She's already in pain, but now she's, she hasn't just lost her son, now she's lost her husband because I'm depressed, I can't help her, I can't, I'm barely able to function myself. And here she is in isolation and, God, where are you? And so she starts seeing 111 everywhere she goes. Every time she looks at the clock, 111. Every time she, wherever, the address is 111. The parking spot is 111. She, and she just starts asking God, God, what does it mean? What does 111 mean? So she's reading in the book of Job, chapter one, verse 11. 
And it's, it's the devil is taunting God about Job. And he basically is saying this. The only reason Job worships you is because of the blessing that you've given him. You take away the blessing, you touch his life, you allow evil to happen to him, and you'll see what Job is made of. And she's hoping that this is not the 111 that God's talking about. (laughs) But she feels like it is, that this is what God's calling for, is worship, not based on all the good things that are around us, but worship based just on him. And she's in the midst of it. It's the very week that God is speaking this. And we have a friend call from Montevideo, a very prophetic man, has no idea what we're going through in Madison. And here's what he gives to Alice. He says, I had a, I had a vision of you and Tom, I can't remember if it was a vision or a dream. It was a revelation. And he said, and you were dancing. But there was no music. And he said, God is calling you to dance. Even though it's difficult right now. We all know it's easier to dance when there's music, isn't there? He's calling you to rise up in your faith. Even though nothing's going the way you want it to, even though it's difficult, even though there's no music of circumstances playing, and he's calling you to dance before him, to worship him anyway. And this is where faith goes to another level. When it's not God plus, it's just God. I think some of the greatest intimacy with God comes in these times. I think oftentimes we, we just live in the hiding of regular life. There are two things that strike the human heart. One is beauty and one is pain. And you can't stay on the surface anymore. It cuts through it. There is a movie out right now. It's in DVD. I've seen it. I've seen it twice now called The Shack. Honestly, I believe this movie is a gift. I think it's a gift to America. I really do. First time I saw it, we were in Phoenix. And it was very profound then. But, and I just decided I'm not going to watch this again. It's too painful. It's just too painful to watch the movie. But... I'm on the flight to China, and Detroit to Beijing is 13 hours. How many know that's a long time? (laughs) That is a long time to sit in one place. I'm in economy. I mean, that next seat is right there. And you just, so I I see the shack there. I'm like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch the movie, but I'm going to just FF through the beginning part. The beginning part, what happens at the beginning of that movie is so horrible and so tragic that I just, I just, I couldn't, I just couldn't take it. After this horrific thing happens in this guy's life, 
he, get, he goes to his mailbox and there's just a, a card with no stamp on it and it says, meet me at the shack. And it's signed Papa. Well, Papa was his wife's intimate name for God and the, the, his daughter who died called him Papa too. And the shack is the place where all of the evil happened, where the unthinkable evil happened. And he is enraged when he gets this invitation. Who, it, who sent this? This is, this is the most evil thing to, 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 to bring up the place of pain and then to use God's familiar name. But he notices there's no tracks that have gone to the mailbox. And uh, so he go, the whole thing is about him going to the shack and at the place of his pain, encountering God in such a way that absolutely transforms his outlook on how to even look at anything in life. See, sometimes God seems silent. I think of the, I think of the footprints poem And the person on earth is saying to God, it seems to me and the way I look at it that when I needed you the most, you left me because there's only one set of footprints. And, and you walked with me in all these other times, but in that time, you left me. You abandoned me. And of course, the footprints thing is... is that is what you felt, but that's not how it was. That at that time, I carried you. I, when God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he means it. He wants more from our faith often than we want from our faith. God is about relationship. This is why we were created. Here's Acts 17, 24 through 30. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him... We live and move and have our being. So God's all around. God's here right now. God's all around you. We, we like the, the water in the ocean, we, we are in God. We are like that pale submerged. We're in one little portion of the ocean. The ocean is massive, but here we are inside of God. We actually live our lives inside of God. And God chose this time, this place, this everything. He put you in it for this purpose, that you might seek him. First, we've already established, first he has to seek you. Because we sinned, we hid. Jesus had to come and die. He came and died so that he could seek us. He awakens us to himself, and then he calls us to seek 
Him. This is the main reason why you were made. We have taken Sunday nights and opened up the altars because there's no children's ministry so nobody has to go get their kids and we just, we never end a Sunday night. We just invite people to the altar and we've, we've established a culture kind of like when I, when I was first saved, we used to do this at this church. It was called MGT and we had, every Sunday night was uh, a second service where Sunday morning is where everybody came and Sunday night was just the people that wanted to come. So you already had people there that wanted to be there and then we never ended them. We just have opened the altar. And I remember some of the greatest times of meeting with God were long after the preaching was done. Just, just waiting on the steps of the altar, just being in his presence. And in a few weeks, we're taking a group down to Kansas City for one thing. And uh, I've made it an annual pilgrimage. It's not about the speakers. It's not about what's going on. It's just a time for me to get away from for four days. Just seek God for who he is. There's 20,000 people, so you, you're not important. You're just there. And all the people that are coming with, I've, I, I always make it very clear to them, I'm not pastoring you during this four days. This isn't... This, you can come if you want to, but, and I'll talk to you, but I, we're not, this isn't me working. I'm, I'm here to seek God. God wants us to seek him in a very distracted culture. He has arranged these things so that your highest purpose for living is to seek him. To seek after him. He says, the reason why I spoke in parables is because all parables do is should stir you to curiosity, should stir you to, but the only people that get more are those that seek after it. They invite you. The parables are an invitation. They're, they're hidden from you. They're not just giving you the truth. They hide the truth, and they are to cause you to seek after. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is the glory of human beings to seek it out. And Jesus said, this is how the kingdom works. To those who have, he said, be careful how you hear, because those who have are going to be given more and in abundance those who are listening, those who are pushing in, they're going to get an abundance. They're going to they're gonna have an overwhelming abundance. And those that don't have, those that are on the outside and not interested and not listening and, not, and choosing not to listen for whatever reason, even what they have, they're going to lose. This is just how the kingdom of God works. The parables lead one group to just go away and it leads to a greater revelation for those that come closer because a picture is worth a thousand words. God is about relationship. We were, the last Sunday I was in China, they asked me to speak at a house church. Warren is here today. Warren went and spoke at a different house church, and I spoke at, at a different one. And um, of course, it's illegal for 
an American to be there speaking at a house church. And so the whole thing is covert and we're on the 21st floor and um, it was, so I was with two of, two of the staff people or, uh, from that base and, and we're at this house church. There's 13 of us gathered. It's a woman pastor. There are 12 women and one man. There's only one other man besides me. And um, this is often the case in China. It's, it's easier for women. I don't know, for whatever reason, there's a lot more women than there are men that are coming to Christ. And I have 30 minutes to share, which means 20 minutes because of the in, I, I'm going in through an interpreter. And I, I share a little message called One Thing about Mary and Martha. And then the woman pastor says, after I'm done speaking, who would like to share what God spoke to them? And they start sharing. One at a time. They would get done sharing. They would translate back to me what they were saying. And I'd say, I'd like to pray for them. And they would just, without me saying it, they'd just stand up. And, and this is why I know you guys were praying here. Because the Holy Spirit, the river of God just would flow. I just... Boom, boom, boom. I, I, I don't know why I knew, but I knew exactly what I needed to say and what was going on. And person after person just melts in the presence of God. And um, there was one non-Christian woman that came. She texted all the way through worship. But once I started speaking, she was riveted. She told us what God spoke to her, and she stood up. She wanted prayer. It was, it was such a beautiful thing. But it was one of the leaders The, the pastor was just given one last chance and, and it was one of the leaders that, that said this. She, she piped up and she said, I, I do so many things for God and I'm following God, but he is so far from me. He is so far from me. I don't know where he's gone. And as she's speaking, I know what the word of the Lord is for. It's a strong word, but she stands up and I say this to her. I said, in some ways, you're similar to the older brother. You're really good at serving and you're really good at keeping commands. But you, you don't know how to do relationships. She just starts weeping. I said, if God would just give you something to do, you'd do it. If he gave you a doctrine to believe, you'd believe it. But he's inviting you to relationship and you don't know how to do relationship. And so you're, you find yourself, even though you work hard and you keep the commands, you find yourself outside of the party of his grace. And God is inviting you to simply ask him and admit, God, I don't know how to do relationship. Help me. Help me to do relationship with you. So beautiful and so powerful. (laughs) The reason why I have so much compassion on people like that is because that's me. I'm going to end with this story in 2009. 
we were, we were in, the, in an apartment in Cottage Grove and our grocery store was Piggly Wiggly and Alice, of course, we, we, we had had some distance in our marriage and she says, I wanna go, I wanna go grocery shopping together. And I'm like, honey, I am, I'm divide and conquer. I am, you, you go shopping. I'm thrilled that you wanna go shopping. You go shopping, I'll go to the hardware store, we'll meet back here. She says, no, no. I want to go shopping together. And I just, I feel like this could lead to a fight. (laughs) So I'm like, okay. I said, I'm in. I said, but here's how I want to do it. Two grocery carts. I said, said, we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it together. But sometimes I just need to, and so so she agrees to this. So... (laughs) So we go, we got two grocery carts and we're going together. We're, we're together for the fruits. We're together in the bread. We're together in the meat. And then I've, I'm just like, we, it, this is just way too long. I'm going to go this way. Here's what I'm going to get. You go that way. I give her a very short list of what to get. And I will meet you at the cash register. Doesn't that seem clear to everybody here? So I go... Boom, 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 boom. I get my stuff, my part of the list, and I'm at the cash register, and I'm waiting for her. Foot stomping. Where is she? I wait what I feel like is long enough. Surely she's on her way. So what I do, man, have you ever done this? So I begin to check out without her here yet. Okay, I've got, a lot, I've got a lot in there. I've got a lot in there. So it's gonna, she's got time. And so she is, she's just, she's not coming. And they're, they're checking, they're checking, they're checking. And I'm like, to get this to happen, I've got to find her right now. This is horrible. I'm just gonna confess this. So I run in Piggly Wiggly <laughs> to the aisle that I know she's in. And here's my, here's my beloved wife. She's, she's standing paralyzed in front of fruits, uh, uh, frozen fruits. She's just, she's got her cart there and she's trying to make a decision. And I'm like, honey, we're checking out. You need to come right now. I'm taking your car. You get, make a decision and get it in here. And I grab the car and I, I go back. And, and so I've got them both lined up. We're checking it out. And she comes, she's got that frozen fruit. She just throws it up the thing and we get checked out. And I, I sense, I just, I sense that something is not right. I feel like I've done everything in, our, in my power to get us out of that building so that we can move on to the next thing. And, but I, I, I'm, I'm a sensitive guy. I sense there's something, not, there's something not quite right. And so I'm in the car. I've got it all loaded up. And she comes and slams the door and is just seething. And I say, what? (laughs) Here's what she says. 
She says this. It's not about the groceries. It's about the relationship. And this is what God is speaking to the human race. It's not about the groceries. It's not all about the stuff you're going to get. Yes, we, we, we live in this world and God, God is with us and he helps us with our stuff and he helps us with even the small things and the small desires and he'll help you make every decision. But at the end of the day, it's not about the groceries. It's about a relationship with him. Could we stand together? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Here's how we're going to end today. It's going to be a little different than usual. Instead of having uh, ministry teams come up, We're just going to bring the lights down and we're going to make this place a place of just seeking God. In just a few minutes, the light will come on that says, go get your children, but please go get your children if that's the case. But if you're not done seeking God, bring, bring them back up here. What, what I am going to ask, I understand, we're, we're getting close to 10, so you may have to leave, you may have to go to your next place, and that's absolutely fine. No guilt and shame. That's, this is not about anybody doing something to appear something or anything. You do whatever you need to do. But, but I would like the fellowship to be outside of the sanctuary and just allow this area not just the altar, but even the rest of the building to just be a place of seeking God. If you want to sing, you're welcome to sing. If you want to come down and kneel at the altar, I'll be down here. It, 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 something works for me to step out to make a physical motion towards God. And here's God's promise. James 4, 8. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And I don't know what's going to happen for you, but here's what I do know. It's going to be good. The invitation is this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I, I confess Give me a list, and I will do that list. But ask me to be in relationship, and I'm a little, Lord, how? how? Well, what does that even look like? What does it look like, you speaking? What, well, how do I know? And, and you just say, come on, I'll show you. I'll show you. I'll show you something beyond logic. Something beyond an equation in your mind. Because I am the infinite, almighty God who loves you, who died for you, who's counted the hairs on your head. Jesus, come and make yourself known to us as we seek you, I pray.